Welcome to Investing for Ocean Impact, the podcast making the business case for conserving our ocean. I'm Dorothy Hemm. Blue bonds are one of the hottest topics in ocean finance. It's been barely five years since they burst onto the scene, but we've already seen half a dozen of them issued around the world, from Scandinavia to China. Some of the flashiest of those deals have been around sovereign countries such as Belize and Barbados. And the advocates of blue bonds want to spread this model globally. Today, I'm busting through the myth with the first of two episodes on blue bonds. I'm going to get to grips with how they work and then also explore some lessons from the Seychelles, home to the first blue bond ever created. Here to help me with all of this is Melissa Walsh, Sustainable Ocean Finance Lead at the Minderu Foundation. It's so fantastic to be back with you. And joining her is Mary May Jeremy, CEO of the Seychelles Conservation and Climate Adaptation Trust, or SACAT. Hello, thanks for having me on. It's such a pleasure. Melissa, yeah, thank you for being back on the podcast. And I wanted to start with you. Can you basically start with the basics? What is a blue bond? Absolutely. Um, I love talking about blue bonds. I think we are at a really exciting time in the field of blue finance where we're making tangible progress and we're doing that through these blue bonds. So what are they? They are debt instruments. And I think the easiest way I like to explain what a blue bond is, is that it's like a mortgage Okay, because everyone who listens to this understands the concept of borrowing money for a big purchase like a house, and that would be your mortgage. So a blue bond is a debt instrument like that. But instead of paying for your house, what you're doing is you're paying for projects and assets that are good for ocean health and nature-based solutions for the blue economy. And there's several types of blue bonds that are out there at the moment. There's at least three types that we're, we're aware of. The first one of these is just uh, called a use of proceeds, but basically just means that that debt is used for a grouping of projects that are all good for the blue economy. The second type is a sustainability-linked blue bond, which means that the money can be used for anything you want as long as it's linked to a sustainability indicator. So that could be, for example, the number of marine protected areas that you put in. And the third type is a debt for nature or a debt conversion blue bond, where you're using some savings from um, interest payments and you're using that savings to commit to marine conservation and nature-based solutions. And could you briefly explain who issues blue bonds? Well, they can be issued by a variety of institutions. So to date, we have only had nine or 10 blue bonds. The first was Seychelles back in 2018, and we're so excited to hear more from the source on that today. So obviously that was a country that issued it. And a few other countries uh, have followed suit with Belize and Barbados, and there's others that are lining up to do so. So a country can do a blue bond, but also can be done by a private institution. Bank of Qingdao is working on one right now. We've seen one from BDO in the Philippines, Also, 
multilateral development institutions can issue blue bonds like the Asian Development Bank did last year. And before we jump into the examples of the Seychelles, there is so much terminology out there. There's climate bond, green bonds, blue bonds. Can you briefly describe the big differences? Yeah, sure. Uh, it, you know what? It's this um, beautiful mosaic of terms that are blossoming right now. Uh, you know, just quickly, I'll pause to tell you that in the last year alone, the number of thematic bond issuances is almost doubled. We're in a booming field. And by thematic bonds, it's all those things you mentioned. It's climate bonds, green bonds, blue bonds, social bonds. Um, there's so many. So what does this actually mean? When you do a thematic bond, you're really signaling to your investors, this is what we care about. This is what we're going to invest our money in. And so what makes something blue? Well, up until now, there hasn't been a globally accepted definition And the, there's five major institutions that are working on fixing that. So the Asian Development Bank, the International Capital Market Association, uh, several parts of the United Nations, the Environment Program Finance Initiative and Global Compact, um, and the International Finance Corporation have all gotten together to set a new guidance document on what makes a blue bond. But we need some more clarity because current guidance documents don't give enough detail to exactly what types of projects should be included because we want to make them the deepest, darkest, bluest projects uh, to make sure that we're not blue washing, but we're providing a really solid um, asset class that the market can depend on. And of course, many of the blue projects also have climate benefits. Almost all of them do um, that I've seen in, our, in, the, in the recent blue bond examples. So these labels Sometimes a product can have many labels, but it is important that we define them so that investors have confidence. When we say something's a blue bond, they know what they're buying. Exactly. Thank you for that explanation. Mary May, we already said Seychelles was leading the way uh, in quite some dramatic steps. So you issued the first ever blue economy debt for nature swap and the first ever sovereign blue bond. So can you explain us why this all happened and where the journey led you to? It started way back in 2008. And, uh, you know, as Seychelles being a small and developing state, and at that time with the global economic crisis, we were, you know, we were struggling with a lot of national debt. And it is at that time that Seychelles started conversations with the TNC, the Nature Conservancy, which is a charitable organization that is based in the U.S., about the potential for us to enter into an innovative debt for nature swap. And, you know, debt for nature swap had been done before in other fields, but Seychelles did the first one related to marine conservation. Um, so on this basis, then, we started the negotiations on how we would enter into a sovereign buyback. So we have debts with institutions and also debt with countries. But Seychelles decided to restructure its debts that were from countries. So that's why it was like a sovereign one. Um, originally, we had planned to restructure over $80 million. Um, but because we could not get the commitments from some of the other countries, we ended up only being able to restructure $20.2 million dollars. And this was, of course, because it was new. Um, there was a lot of uncertainties around it. And obviously, then more people were a little bit reluctant, I guess, to, to get involved. 
And, and so this is uh, where we, we landed. So from the get-go, um, the Seychelles government had to make certain commitments to TNC to ensure that this deal would play out. And this is where we made the commitment to protect 30% of our EZ as marine protected areas. And this became really the heart of the, the negotiations around marine conservation and in leveraging people to invest into um, TNC to allow for the buyback to happen. And in that um, sort of journey, nevertheless, there was an intent to bring in the blue bond as well. So the blue bond uh, started after, you know, it was like after the concert. Uh, so the, the original step with setting up the SECAT. So SECAT is a, is a child of the debt for nature swap. So when we were negotiating the debt for nature swap, government could not benefit directly from TNC because of the international um, legislation um, that exists also in the States. So therefore, we needed to have a mechanism, a vehicle, a special purpose vehicle for Seychelles to be able to get the funds from TNC in order to buy back the debt. So this is when um, we established the SECAT. And so therefore, when SECAT was born, we saw the potential that it could also play in facilitating other um, innovative financial mechanisms. And this is when we started working on the blue bond. And so you see that there is a little bit of that lag time from the time that the trust was operational in 2016 up until we were able to actually um, launch the first blue bond because there was a lot of sort of background work that needed to be done to ensure that we were able um, to launch the first blue bond. And, and who were the first sort of pioneers that actually were investing into the, the blue bonds? Who were those players? Um, we had TMC themselves that put up money up front. We have, for instance, the Leonardo um, DiCaprio Foundation at the time. We had the Lida Hill Foundation. Um, uh, we had a few other individuals as well who were able to raise the original 15 million. So it was, it was through fundraising and a lot of it through philanthropy. So... And a lot of the partners that we worked with back in the days are still very much involved with the trust and they continue um, to support the work that we're doing because I guess they see, the, um, they see the growth that the trust has made and also the progress that has been made from the time that we have been in operation. Can I just jump in and say how impressive that story is? I've heard it a couple of times over the last few years, but when you hear it in that condensed way and you realize that there's this small island but big ocean state that managed not only to um, find a solution for their oceans but also to, to be that innovative and creative in a financial product, I think it's something we should really celebrate. I know that it wasn't easy and I know that it was a complicated endeavor that you know you hit a wall with, okay, well, we can't do this, so what do we do next? And the structure that you came up with uh, it, it really set the groundwork for the field of blue bonds now. So yeah, just wanted to jump in and say congrats on that innovation. Exactly. You were the first leader, right? <laughs> yes. And the, but the, you know, sometimes the issue with being a leader, it means that you have to really learn, the, you have to learn the lessons the hard way sometimes. And and it makes the process a lot lengthier than it would have been if we had like those best practices and lessons learned that we could actually use. So a lot of the lessons learned have been developed 
from Seychelles now. And, and, and it's good to see that there is uptake from other countries. And that's one of the things I think that we are now able to impart and we are working indirectly to our marine spatial planning team with other, some of those other countries that have now launched their own blue bonds. Um, so it's, it's very exciting um, to see that space growing and to know that we've played such a pivotal part in it. Absolutely. And can you tell us a little bit about the, the results that you have seen on the ground, also through both the debt for nature swap, but also the blue bond um, itself that was raised later? Okay, so for us in the, in the Seychelles, um, we decided to choose a marine special planning process that will help us to achieve not only the identification of areas that we were going to set aside for marine protection under the 30% commitment, but also committed to a marine spatial plan for the entire EZ, so the 1.35 million square kilometers of ocean. So all of that is included as part of our Dead for Nature swap. So in terms of the success now, we have done the zoning design and we're now moving into setting up the um, operational plan, the implementation plan that helps us to move from just designation to management. And most of the work of the trust now is around resource mobilization to support that. And that includes in ideas, innovative space for blue economy, working with the locals, blue entrepreneurs in the Seychelles, as well as NGOs and individuals that are interested in that space. So the MSP, the Depth for Nature Swap, the SACAT and the Blue Bonnet is all intricately linked. So it's a special purpose mechanism that we, we are building on. And, it, you know, it's getting more complex by the day. But I think uh, the idea is that if we, we have one vision and the blue economy being at the heart of it, and then SACAT being sort of the, the oil, that's just, just going to make sure that the resources are available for us to deliver on that dream. Great. I Before we go back uh, also more to the lessons learned that we started with, um, could you explain a bit more into detail again how the blue bond is sort of structured? Like who is behind it? I understand there's a loan part, there's a ground part. Maybe we could unpack that a little bit more. Okay. So the blue bonds, the sovereign blue bonds that the Seychelles uh, government launched in 2018 is $15 million dollars. So we had three main um, investors into this blue bond. And the plan is that $3 million from this $15 million is going to come to SACAT to be disbursed as grants under the existing SACAT Blue Grants Fund. Then the, the, other, the remaining $12 million is for a, a loan facility. Um, and that is what we have termed as the Blue Investment Fund um, for the Seychelles. And it is administered by the Development Bank of Seychelles. Under that loan component, there are some key areas that are supposed to benefit from funding. Under the Blue Economy heading, we have things like aquaculture, sustainable fisheries, um, setting up facilities that support research and development in the space of the Blue Economy. So people are able to get up to 3 million rupees for loan at a 4% interest rate. And there is a very clear criteria on the sorts of initiatives that are going to be able to benefit from this loan mechanism. On the side of SECAT, with the 3 million, it is running over a period of five years. And every year, 
we have $500,000 that gets disbursed into the trust and which we add to the annual pot that we put out for grants. So together with the debt furniture swap and the blue bonds, every year SECAT has $700,000 that it puts out as part of its call um, for funding. Okay. Well, maybe Melissa, a question to you then. Do you see this type of mechanism being a good vehicle for bringing more finance, not only into the blue economy, but the sustainability and the nature-based solution side of the story? Yeah, I really do. I think if you just pick up on what um, Marie May was just saying about the size of these loans, okay, so one of the issues we have in the blue economy is that many of the projects that need to be done on the ground are actually quite small projects. And they really struggle to get finance on their own, either because of the pure size of them, or maybe there's something new and therefore a little bit risky. And so what the magic to me of a blue bond is that it packages these smaller projects together into something that's of interest to investors, right? So that's what it's all about. It's it's about pooling that risk, pooling those benefits. So you might have a bond that takes together some marine protected area activities that by themselves an investor would never look at, together with marine renewable energy, which gives a good financial return. And then together, they can go to market. Now, that can be done in so many different ways. It can be done through the the debt restructuring um, example there. It can also be done through these other types of blue bonds that I mentioned early on. But either way, what they do is package together uh, multiple projects and bring it to a benchmark that the capital markets um, want to look at. Now, if you look at the example of the Asian Development Bank's blue bond that they issued last year, if you look at the projects that were funded, they're very diverse. There's a plastics recycling project in China. There's a waste to energy project in the Maldives. And there's many others. And individually, these would have been hard, but together they're powerful. Now, do I think blue bonds are the answer for blue finance? Absolutely not. They're just one of the tools. And we also have to be really careful to consider when should we use a blue bond And when should we look at other blue finance tools? There's certainly not a magic bullet. We have to be careful to assess upfront if it's the right tool to look at. And there's things we can do to check that out very quickly. You know, who would be the issuer? What would it fund? Are there enough projects for this to make sense? Sometimes... um, we, we get approached by someone who wants to issue a blue bond. And as we walk through the actual steps, it's complicated. It costs money. Sometimes it's just quicker and faster to do a blue loan. And I think blue bonds, though, they're this conversation opener. And what they've also allowed us to do in the blue finance space is to better define what we mean by the blue economy. So I mentioned earlier this global guidance effort that's happening it's, it's happening for blue bonds because they're this, you know, um, very charismatic um, species of the blue finance ecosystem. People pay attention to blue bonds. But we can take those lessons and use it for other blue finance tools like blue loans and, and other products. So I think that we are using blue bonds to really open up this blue finance ecosystem. And there are so many other products out there that we can also adapt for the blue economy. Melissa, you actually sparked <laughs> you sparked some ideas in my head, and I just got excited when you were speaking just now. Um, 
I think one of the one of the key things that you've said that is really really true is that blue bonds is not like the silver bullet. It is one of many options that we have there. And when we speak of blended finance here within the trust, this is exactly what we mean. We have to be able to know when to use what and for what types of activities and knowing the audience. Because some of the more complex um, blue finance solutions that are out there are not necessarily going to bridge the gap that exists at the grassroots level. I suppose one of the things that we have had to learn and quite steeply over the past couple of years is that when you are making resources available for locals, for those blue investment, blue entrepreneurs, and some of the smaller programs and businesses is that you have to understand the levels of capacities that are within country. And for some of those mechanisms, the paperwork might be quite extensive. People need to understand what is required of them. This is why we have like the differences within the grants and the loans. So the grants are there as a first step because we have the three categories, the, the small, the medium and the large, which is taking us up to about two million rupees um, in terms of what the SECAP can issue as part of the Blue Grants Fund. So the idea is that people can apply for those smaller grants, prepare their business idea, develop those ideas, research, get the necessary support and become ready to then enter and access those bigger loans. So it's like we are de-risking the businesses for the locals, helping them to do the startups that are going to be a little bit more difficult. And then when they have a business model that they know is more likely to work, then they go and they get the bigger risk in terms of getting the loan. So this is a little bit the way we've, we've tried to address the issues of capacity. Great. Melissa, can you explain us a little bit more sort of what are some of the more um, concessional investors or the commercial investors that are currently looking into blue bonds? Who are those players? Yeah, we have a lot of demand from across um, several market segments. So there are commercial investors that are interested. Many of these are large institutional investors and they want to do something blue because it's great for their own corporate social responsibility and marketing. And the demand is there. The trick with that, I think, is if we're talking to commercial investors, we have to be really savvy about what we're selling them, and it has to be strong returns. And for the blue economy space, at the moment, that's quite limited to marine renewable energy, some parts of the seafood value chain. But when we're talking to the commercial sector, that's really what they can, the type of blue bond return they would be expecting. On the other end, you know, if you're looking at the whole spectrum, at the very other end, there are these philanthropic organizations that are willing to put in grant money, technical assistance money to facilitate um, the development of blue bonds and, and maybe to sweeten the deal a little bit with um, bringing down the interest rate by giving a little bit in grants. So those are large um, nonprofit foundations, family offices, and we're seeing those steadily grow. What I've noticed, which is really interesting in the last few years, is this jump that's happened. So if you're picturing that spectrum, one end is grants, they don't want their money back. The other end is commercial. And in the middle, we often call that impact investing or concessional investing, where you want a little bit of money back, but it's subsidized. You don't want the full return. We've seen several 
uh, family offices who normally would give out grants try to jump into that space, which is really exciting, and they're innovating. We've been talking about blue bonds and some labels. There are also sustainability bonds, which can have green and blue components. Sometimes an investor will buy a sustainability bond and through that um, get a little bit more education or excitement around the blue side of things and then look for new blue products. There really isn't a lack of investors. It's really just our job to do a matchmaking and to be smarter about, um, you know, as Marie May said, what do we need out of this and how do we best match it? So knowing what our projects are, knowing what our needs are and doing a better job of matching to the investors that are out there. You mentioned there are the different project types, right? And there's the, the renewable or maybe some aquaculture fishery who are a more sort of uh, settled segment of the market. Do I have to imagine that as part of my blue bond, I have some activities that can pay back a higher return on investment that can then subsidize to some degree some of the more nature-based solutions activities with a lower return? Or how do I have to imagine that? Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. We can do a blue bond for you that does that. So with any thematic bond, it starts with defining uh, your framework of what will the money be allowed to be used for. And with this global guidance, what we're advocating for is a whole lot of sectors to be included that have scientific connections to ocean health. But in that framework, if you define that, yes, you can have marine renewable energy under certain criteria, and yes, you can do nature-based solutions under other criteria, then they can go together and one can fund the other. Absolutely. Great. Thank you for that. Well, Mary May, I mean, you have a wealth of lessons learned and experiences. And as we said, there are new blue bonds uh, emerging on the horizon. What would be your, your takeaway for them as they embark on their journey? Yeah, I think one of the first things would be just to know your context. Be very, very clear from the outset what it is that you're going to have, how you're going to raise the funds to put in there and who it's going to go out to. Because once you understand your target audience, then you will be able to tailor your program so that it responds to that. Of course, then there are those other things. For instance, um, when we started, we started with just the one thing. We had the Blue Grants Fund as the core program within the trust. But then we realized that, of course, when we have our everything that is happening with the Marine Spatial Plan, the financial gap that we were having would not be able to be addressed by just that alone. So that's when then you start diversifying, understanding the different financial mechanisms that are available out there and see how you can tweak them to make them your own. If you do not have those core values within your, your context, you will be tempted to just follow where the money is going. So follow the donors, follow where the funds are being, instead of trying to design a mechanism that responds to your needs. And sometimes it takes a bit of negotiating with the donors or the potential partners um, and the investors to get them to see eye to eye with what it is that you're trying to achieve. But um, if you stay true to those, then it would help, of course, to so then diversify and also making sure that, you know, we remain flexible. Um, we've had to change a lot over the years, especially with everything being so new. So being adaptive 
and allowing that space for growth. SECAT, we've been in operation for six years now, and already we've had to re-look re at our Establishment Act. And just last month, we had to pass some amendments through Parliament on some of the things that were sort of hindering us to grow, to fit into some of those available financial mechanisms. So we've had to make the switch. From the time when we started up to now, what we know is different and what we are able is definitely different. So to remain adaptive as well. Flexibility, indeed. Melissa, any additional final recommendations from you? My recommendation would simply be we need to think bigger but stay grounded. And I think we are doing a good job of thinking bigger But I mean, we really need to open up our minds to this. The capital markets are there and wanting to support ocean health and nature-based solutions. Let's use blue bonds to make that happen. So we need to do more sovereign blue bonds. We need to do more corporate blue bonds. But we can also innovate these things. Why can't we do a small island developing state, regional or global bond where we bring together multiple countries that couldn't do this on their own, but we allow them to do it in partnership or a small and medium enterprise. So private sector, small entities bond, again, bringing them together, de-risking through a bond mechanism and thinking much bigger about the gap because the gap is growing. That blue economy gap, it's growing every single day. We need to stop that gap from growing any bigger. But I say that with the caveat that we also need to stay grounded. And just to echo what Marie May said, staying true to our values of why we're doing this, not just following the money for the sake of it. You know, when I got into this field, it wasn't because I wanted to focus on finance. It's because I wanted communities to be empowered to manage their marine resources And money is limiting them, but it's not why we do it. And so when we look bigger, it's going to take a lot of restraint. It's going to take a lot of um, careful thought to make sure that we are funneling the money to where it's needed the most and letting communities and countries drive the direction. And we're just facilitators bringing the money to empower. A very big thank you to my guests this week, Melissa Walsh and Mary Mae Jeremy. Next time, it's Blue Bonds Part 2, The Next Generation. Recently, both Belize and Barbados have announced Blue Bonds that are part of massive debt for nature swaps, both with complex insurance clauses to protect against natural disasters and both of them supported, like the Seychelles, by the Nature Conservancy. How does this all work? Well, we're going to find out. Investing for Ocean Impact is a fresh air production on behalf of IUCN, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. It was produced by Phil Sansom with production assistance from Kamak Joseph. To find out more about the subject, visit our website, bluenaturalcapital.org. I'm Dorothy Hare. Thank you for listening.